Well, as you know, about two weeks ago, our twin granddaughters were born, um, still in the neonatal intensive care unit, and um, it's been quite a uh, up and down roller coaster ride. Um, this week, one of them wasn't uh, just seemed to take a turn for the worst, and she she seems to be doing better now. Is Kara here? Where are you? Oh, she's doing better now, Madison and Sophia. So continue to pray for them, and uh, it's good to see Nick and Kara here. Praise the Lord for that. Those little girls were born, as I said, almost two weeks ago. They weighed under three pounds. They're still in the, the NICU. They, they both lost weight, um, as normally happens, I suppose. I guess it's about every day and several times a day that we find ourselves praying, longing that they would gain weight. As you know, that's largely dependent on their diet. But it has to be a very specified, a a specific diet. I could go in there today with a a sleeve of Oreos and a a gallon of milk and it's not going to help them. In fact, it might be detrimental to them. I and I know a thing or two about putting on a few ounces. <laughs> I know a thing or two about putting on a few pounds, but I'm telling you, it's not going to help them at all. They need a specialized diet because it's so important that they would grow. Why? Because a growing baby is a what? A healthy baby. The same is true about a Christian, isn't it? A growing Christian is a spiritually healthy Christian. However, your spiritual growth is largely dependent on your spiritual diet. So I want to take a few minutes this morning to talk about your diet. Let's talk about your diet, your spiritual diet, that is. And that's really the subject to which the Apostle Peter turns as we now turn the page into chapter 2 of 1 Peter, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. Let me read it for us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you'll see that, that theme sort of coming into play here. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, newly born babies, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is concerned here for his readers. He's concerned for their spiritual growth. He's concerned for their spiritual health. He's concerned that they might grow up, that they might mature, that they might be healthy when it comes to spiritual things. And and in order to do that, he essentially points out three facts or three, I guess I could say it this way, three realities that when his readers get a grip on those things, when, the, when his readers start to understand, they, these things will actually, these three realities will actually contribute towards our spiritual growth, towards our spiritual vitality, towards our spiritual health, towards our spiritual maturity. What are those three things? Well, in verse 1, he says, verse 1 and 2, he says, we are to have a distinct interest. We are to have a distinct interest. And then, again, verses 1 and 2, the other, 
the end of verse 2 actually, we are to have a direct intention. And then he closes out in verse 3, showing us that we are to have a driving incentive, a distinct interest, a direct intention, and a driving incentive. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week when we got into chapter 2. We learned that the main verb really points us to the main theme of the text. The focus of the text is communicated in the main verb of the text. And the main verb, as it's translated for us in the ESV, is the word long, or the verb long. You may have a version that says crave or desire. The word means, it refers to a strong desire for something because of need. And this is where he's talking to us about this distinct interest, this reality. We as Christians have a distinct interest. This desire, this craving is not just what I, and I'm going to emphasize this today, is not just an emotional craving. It's not just an emotional desire, but rather it is a craving out of necessity. Not an emotion for craving, but it is about the necessity of that which is being craved. The distinct interest of the Christian, he says, is, now notice this, pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk. What, what's the point? What is the pure spiritual milk? What is the point for this interest? Well, if you have a New King James, if you have a King James, probably if you have New American Standard, it's supplied for you because it probably says, desire or craving the pure spiritual milk of the word. And the reason that that is there is because Peter has just talked a little bit about this idea of being born again by the word of God. And, and so it just seems natural to supply it here. So now we're looking at this distinct interest that Christians are to have. What is, the, what is the distinct interest? What is the point? What is the focus for every Christian? It is to be, to desire, to crave, to long for the pure spiritual milk. And I think we can supply this and understand the pure spiritual milk, I think just to say, of the word is a really good uh, understanding. He is referring here to what is spiritually nourishing. The Word of God is spiritually nourishing. It is the Word of God that is the source of our spiritual new birth. The reason that you were born again, if you were born again, the reason that you are born again is because God, by the Holy Spirit, applied the Word of God to your heart, which was the life what, what gave life to you in, your, in the midst of your spiritual deadness? But that which gave us life initially also gives us growth. And so the point here is, he's saying, what, what is to be the point of your interest? The point of your interest is to be the word of God. Notice how he says it. He says, the pure spiritual milk. Pure. What does pure mean? Well, you know what that means. It means unmixed. It means unadulterated, not watered down. Without additives, right? That which is pure. Desire, long for that which is pure. But then a little bit more difficult is this word spiritual. 
Now, we've come across this word before. In fact, a few years ago, we came across it in our study in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in which he says, so that you may prove, or verse 2, so that you may prove what is your good and reasonable or spiritual work, or what is your spiritual service to the Lord. The word here translated spiritual maybe could be translated as reasonable, rational, it, it, is, it is reasonable. In this context, what he's saying is, crave for that pure, reasonable milk. The, 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 the thing that will really give you the proper spiritual nourishment. That's what he's saying. Crave exactly what is needed. And then he says the word milk. Now, oftentimes, when you think about spiritual nourishment and you hear the word milk... You think of it in a negative kind of way because Paul uses it like that in 1 Corinthians 3 and the writer of Hebrews uses it sort of in a, almost in a negative overtone in Hebrews chapter 5. Like he says, look, you should by now be needing not milk, but what? Meat. But Peter's not using it that way. He's saying, like a newborn baby desires milk, so you should desire that which is spiritually nourishing to your soul. Whatever is spiritually nourishing. What is spiritually nourishing? I think it's most evidently what he's talking about here is the word of God. So what's the point? The point is that Peter is calling his readers to avail themselves to that which provides spiritual nourishment. What provides spiritual nourishment? Nothing more than the word of of God. It's by the word of God that you were born again, that you were brought out of spiritual death into spiritual life, and it's through the word of God that you are nourished for your spiritual life. Jesus said this, man does not live, what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Jeremiah said, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. The psalmist said, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He said, it's richer than honey, or richer than money and sweeter than honey in Psalm 119, in Psalm 19 verse 10. That's the point. There is a distinct interest that we're to have. We're to be taken with something. In the sense of craving something, not an emotional craving, not an emotional craving or desire, but rather a craving or desire out of necessity that says, I can't, there's no other way for me to produce, to, to, to grow spiritually than through the word of God. He, he drives home the point and then he gives us a picture. There's a picture of this, of this interest we're to have. What's the picture? And it's something that we're all very accustomed to. I'm especially accustomed to it with our granddaughters just being born. Like a newborn baby. That's the picture. And it helps make it crystal clear for us. Long for this, new, for this milk like a newborn baby longs for his mother's milk. The baby does nothing to earn this. But rather the baby intuitively longs for this, for this nourishment. 
And his mother is uniquely prepared, uniquely gifted for that purpose. And when that baby is born, I mean, she longs to be near her mother and is almost instantly calm when she's placed at her mother's breast. The nutrients received are absolutely essential to her survival, to her wellness, to her health. And that's the picture that Peter paints for us here. Like a newborn baby longs for nourishment. Like a newborn baby longs for nearness. Listen, not just, I'll say it again, not just an emotional craving, but the craving of necessity. How does a newborn baby long for pure milk? Eagerly? Frequently? Loudly, alarmingly, (laughs) I mean, everything else has to stop, right? So we're to eagerly, frequently long for the pure spiritual milk of divine nourishment. That baby has the need for, like, there's no other hope, there's no other help. The point, the picture, but guess what? There's a prerequisite. There's a prerequisite for this kind of interest. There's a prerequisite for this kind of longing, for this kind of craving. There is a way to cultivate this interest. Now, I'm going to say it one more time and maybe the last time. I'm not talking about an emotional craving here. We're talking about the understanding, the necessity of this craving. You need this. Your life used to be characterized by, by passion, ignorant passions, the passions of the flesh. Your life used to be characterized by fleshly desires. Now you are to be characterized by your spiritual desires. How do you get to that point? Peter tells us how in the use of that participle in verse 1. The main verb is long for the pure spiritual milk. How do you do that? You do that by laying something aside. And we talked about that last week. This is very important. Pay very close attention. Do you want to long for pure spiritual milk? Do you want to long for spiritual nourishment? If you do, there's something that must happen. You must have something. And that is there must be this definite break with what used to characterize your former life. In other words, without this, your spiritual growth, your spiritual health will be stunted. You'll be hindered. Put away. Strip off. Like like taking off of of a jacket. Take it off. Put away. And notice what he says. All malice. So that's sort of like there's three categories here. And you know each category whenever you see the word all. So category one, all malice. Category two, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And then category three, all slander. Those are the three categories. And he just uses this. It's interesting, the scriptures often bring these sins together. These products of the flesh together. Malice, as we said, is just generally evil intentions, evil thoughts. Put yourself, put that, rid yourself of evil thoughts. And then the idea here, uh, when he puts these three together, deceit, deceit we talked about as being 
baiting someone into believing something that's just not true. Hypocrisy is the same thing. It's, it's painting yourself to be something on the outside that you're really not on the inside. Envy is looking at not just what somebody else has, but, but saying you want that for, not just you want that for yourself, but you don't want them to have it. And then of course, slander is, is with our words painting people in such a way, painting others in such a way that, that just slanders them, that, that brings them down. He says the only way for you to long for that pure spiritual milk is by laying aside, by taking off, ridding yourself of these, these evidences of the flesh. What do you do? Well, you recognize them as sin. Recognize the presence of malice. Recognize the presence of deceit and hypocrisy and envy. Recognize the presence of slander. And when you see that, then what do you do? You repent. You, 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 you actually say to God, this is what this is. God, I see this for being exactly what you see it to be. And then you, you renounce it. You say, that, that's no good. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm done with that. But you don't stop there. You actually replace it with something else. Something that's godly. Something that's righteous. Namely, love. That's what he's been talking about here. You don't sit, however... With these things, you don't sit and stew over them. You do something. You replace these things with that which you know to be godly. You long for that which is spiritually nourishing. And there's no exceptions. All malice. He doesn't say, get rid of most malice. I feel, sometimes we feel like we're doing pretty good. You know what? I've, I've gotten rid of most malice. But yeah. And almost all hypocrisy. I, I mean, look at that. I've gotten rid of almost all hypocrisy and almost all deceit. And mostly I never slander anymore. That reminds me of the line, right? In, in what's that movie? The Princess Bride. You're only mostly dead. You're only mostly spirit. You have a little bit, right? No exceptions. Spare no costs. Allow for no lingering remnants of these particular sins. This is the prerequisite. In other words, can I say it this way? The reason that we often lack this craving, this longing for spiritual nourishment is because we're entertaining these things and we're being filled up by these things and our spiritual taste buds are just deadened. There's deadened to that which is really, really good. We are to have a distinct interest. But that distinct interest leads to something. It has a direct intention. Why is it that we are to crave the word of God? Look at the purpose clause here at the end of verse 2. So that by it... By what? By this pure spiritual milk, you may grow up into salvation. I've, I've said it a number of times. I'll say it one more time. Come face to face with the reality. We're not talking about a longing or craving or a desiring that is emotional. We're talking about that which is out of necessity. Because I think we can misunderstand. Here, the reason I'm making this point so often is because I think we misunderstand 
we think that this is primarily an issue of emotion involved. So what happens? We tend to sit around and wait for the feeling. We tend to sit around and wait for the desire. We tend to sit around and wait for a wanting to feed on the word. And how often do you want to feed on the word? How often do you want to eat broccoli? If you're normal, you don't want to eat broccoli. Like you want some good stuff, right? You don't want that which is good for you. you your, 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 your spiritual or your, your physical taste buds are deadened to that which is good for you, right? And we sit around wanting, we think that it's some kind of an emotion so that if I don't feel, if I don't get the oogly googlies, then I don't, I don't feel like reading the Bible. You're waiting for oogly googlies. I'm not sure what that is. But it's not an emotional craving. This is a craving of necessity. There's a reason that you must long for the word of God. What is it? Because listen, life is in the word. There is an ability in the word which is found nowhere else. The quality of life is in the implanted word of God himself. So that you need to understand something. You need to recognize You need to confess that. You need to listen. You're you're not going to be spiritually nourished apart from the word of God. It's not going to happen by drinking in self-help books. It's not going to happen by going to a a life coach. Your spiritual growth is not going to be brought about by sitting around waiting to get the urge. It's not going to happen by filling yourself up with things which grow out of your natural fleshly tendencies. What's the purpose? What's the intent? What's the direct intention? So that by it you may grow up into salvation. The purpose is to grow. The purpose is to increase. To mature. Into what? Into salvation. Picture it like this. Picture me getting a, a jacket or a, a pair of some clothes that are just too big for me. And, and I... <laughs> I'm going to grow into those clothes, right? I, I got room to expand. That's what salvation is like. God saved you, and you're just as much a child of God today as you will be on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. But listen, he's created you, to, to, he saved you to grow you into the image of his dear son. That's the ultimate salvation that he's talking about. He's going to bring you ultimately into conformity of his dear son. And the only way that he is going to do that is through the word of God. He's not going to do that any other way. He's not going to do it through self-help. He's not going to do it through self-esteem. He's not going to do it through a life coach. He's not going to do it through some feeling. He is going to work in the same way that he brought you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the word of God. And So read the Bible like that. What do I mean? I mean, read the Bible like you think God is going to use this to transform me into the image of his son. Meditate on the word like that. Meditate. Think about it knowing that what God is doing is he's making you more like his son. Study it like that. Memorize it like that. Sit under the preaching of the word like that. With the understanding that the word of God, brothers and sisters, is the only instrument that he will use to conform you to the image of Christ one, mean, one man said, the true aim of Bible study is never a mere mastery of its contents, 
but a transforming experience with the Lord who reveals himself in his word. What is your desire? What is your primary ambition? What do you long for? Charles Swindoll said, is Christ-like spiritual maturity your primary ambition? He said, stop and think before your answer. What is your priority in life? Toward what are you directing most of your time, energy, and money? He said, if a video crew were to follow you around for a week or an accountant were to flip through your checkbook, would anyone conclude that your growth as a Christian is the most important thing in your life? It's a direct intention so that by it you may grow up into all that for which God initially saved you. There's a distinct interest that we're to have. Direct intention we're to have. But he also says we're to have a driving incentive. What what stimulates this? Look in verse 3. If. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We need something to stimulate the intense craving for spiritual nourishment. And Peter says that there's something that stimulates that. And he introduces us by this first class conditional clause. clause. In other words, it's, it's introduced as if he's saying, well, if this is the case, but maybe could be translated since this is the case. It's almost like he's saying, this is the case, right? He's, he's not doubting it. He's just getting you to think about what is the case? What is, look, at the, look at the condition of the Christian. If indeed, no doubt communicated here whatsoever. One man said, Christian yearning for the milk of the word has its stimulus in past experience. If does not imply doubt, it assumes the reality of the past experience of God's amazing goodness and compassion in Christ. In other words, they had indeed experienced something. What is the driving incentive for you to crave the word? It's something that you have been brought into something you have experienced at a point in time. Crave the Bible. If I can put it this way, crave the Bible because in the Bible is where God is revealed. And that's exactly my beef with my charismatic friends and and Pentecostal movement. Because so often they make it seem like what's ultimate is some mystical experience outside of the word. What is it that incentivizes you to crave the word? The fact that you have been brought into a relationship with God. And then what does he say? A God who is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You need to know something about Peter. As he's writing this letter, 
he has his finger in the book of Psalms. Particularly, he, he is thinking a lot about Psalm 34, which next time we're going to look at Psalm 34, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter has his finger in the Psalms. He has his mind in the Psalms as he's writing this. And he says that what really leads you to crave the word is that you have found that God, you have found the character of God. You have found that God is good. You have experienced the goodness of God. The um, theologians would call this the beneficence of God. The moral excellence of God. Now see, when you hear this, and typically, Nathan said in, in Bodybuilders this morning, we are creatures of our culture. We've been conditioned by our culture. And typically, when you hear the word, when you hear somebody say, God is good, we think of bling. God is good. Look at me. Look, God is good. Look at my car. God is good. Look at my house. God is good. Look at me. And that is not the measure of goodness. The size of your house, the coolness of your car, the the crispness of your clothing is not about you. In fact, that's not where we get to say that God is good. I want you to think about what's happening with these readers here. He's telling these readers who are scattered and suffering, you've experienced the goodness of God. The goodness of God is not a careful, a careless, easy, trouble-free life. Just read verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. The goodness of God is not about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Read chapter 2, verses 13 through 21. The goodness of God is not a life apart from suffering and persecution. Read chapter 3, verse 8. The goodness of God is not a life never experiencing mocking and insults. Read chapter 4. Goodness of God is not a life free from difficulty and temptation. Read chapter 5 where he says you got an enemy roaring like a lion seeking someone to devour. American Christianity has said that goodness, God's goodness is tied up with present things. But the scripture says... That goodness is tied up with a born again hope, an imperishable, undefi- uh, unfading, eternal inheritance. That goodness is tied up in trials that serve a, a divine purpose. Goodness is is found in the assured fullness of a salvation in Christ alone, a confident hope 
a definite redemption purchased with Christ's blood. A purified soul, the everlasting word, a God who promises to superintend life's most pressing hardships and deepest heartaches to serve his eternal redemptive purposes. That is the goodness of God. And you say, well, Joe, how do I know that God is good? You will only ever know the character, the, the attributes of God as he reveals himself in the word. You have 66 books testifying throughout thousands of years of history. That God is good. His standard, not mine. His standard, not yours. That God is committed to doing what He said He would do. That God is committed to His Word. That God is committed to His glory. That is good. So that you can say, no matter what, right? Come hell or high water, as they used to say, no matter what, I can trust Him. What is it that would be your incentive to crave the Word that you found? That God is good. That he's committed to doing what he said he would do. How do you, how do you get there? How do, you, how do you crave the word? How do you desire the word? I want to try to close today by giving you 10 things. 10 things that might help you. Just practical. I'll go through these pretty quickly. But just 10 things that might help you to crave the word of God. First, guard yourself against being filled with something else. The very things that Peter tells us to lay aside here have often become the things that we consume. I'll just read something here. Social media, news, endless scrolling through meaningless pics and videos, and we find that these things actually feed malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. This is not to mention the unaided, uh, this is not to forget, the unaided mindlessness with which we become so comfortable. Beware, listen to this, beware of just getting lost in your thoughts and groundless preoccupation with your feelings and thoughts. Many are led away from the word because they spend so much time being led by their own thoughts and feelings. Perhaps the greatest danger, the greatest hindrance to you and I craving the word is just filling ourselves with mindlessness. Second, pay attention to the purity of the word. I told you last week in 2008, the world was shocked to learn that, uh, about what had become known as the Chinese milk scandal. Officials had found that they were, uh, officials were guilty of adding melamine to powdered milk to make it appear that it had more protein than it actually did. And what was actually happening was it was killing babies, killing kids. You gotta pay attention to the purity of the word. Don't believe everything you hear. Everything that comes on Christian radio is not necessarily 
Christian. Right? Every website is not necessarily Christian. Spiritual nourishment is given within the incubator of the local church where there are elders and deacons serving for the sake of the maturity of the church. Number three, put yourself, which leads me to say, put yourself in an environment, in an atmosphere where the word is central. The word, as I said, is the instrument used by the Holy Spirit to transform you in Christ, into Christ's likeness. So develop Christ, uh, uh, develop word-centric, word-centric relationships. Put yourself in an environment where the word is central. Consume the word. The scriptures tell us in Psalm 119.11 to memorize it. Acts 17.11 to search it. 2 Timothy 4 to preach it. 1 Timothy 4 to teach it. Joshua 1, meditate on it. 1 Timothy 2, study it. 1 Timothy 4, read it. Just consume the word. So often we consume those things that deaden our spiritual taste buds and then we get to the word and we're like, eh, it's boring. Consume the word. I'd say this, be encouraged by the lives of others. One of the reasons that I love this morning uh, uh, series that we're doing in Bodybuilders this summer as we go through some, some uh, lives and lessons from church history and, and the scriptures, is because it reminds us so much that real people live real lives. And I can be so encouraged by their lives to pursue that which is righteous. Do you have someone that, that when you get around them, man, you just want to become more like Christ? Be encouraged by the lives of others. Number six, and just no specific order. I'm just giving you some things. Set a time and develop a plan. You, you can't have a shotgun approach when it comes to um, craving the word. You just can't have a shotgun. Ah, here today, there, boom, boom, boom. You're just popping all around, right? It's, you end up, you're going to end up getting hurt. You're going to end up getting harmed by that. Develop, set a time. At this time, I meet with God. Seven, this is important, do all to the glory of God. What I mean by that is, don't think that the only spiritual time is that time that you meet with God or church. All of life, see all of life as an opportunity to seek the glory of God. If you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, man, do it all to the glory of God. You're going to go down today and you're going to eat hamburgers. Man, eat hamburgers to the glory of God. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Let's think everything Christ-centered, glorifying to Him. And then number eight, this is really helpful. Eagerly serve others. I have found a greater desire for the Word when I have opened myself to serve others and see that I am actually being useful to bring others to Christ's likeness. As I use my spiritual gift and sacrifice my time, move towards others in a loving way, cherishing, affectionately cherishing, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, eagerly serve others. Nine, speak the truth. Do not allow yourself to get lost in a morass of lies and deceit and untruth. Speak the truth. Speak it in love, but speak the truth. And then lastly, consider how good the Lord has been to you. 
consider this. Just don't, let, don't get beyond this. Every day think, God has brought you to hear the word. He's given you the truth. He's brought out and helped you understand that you're a sinner in need of grace. That there is a Savior whose name is Jesus. He's brought to you the way of salvation. He's given to you the gospel. He has given to you these great and precious promises. Consider how good the Lord has been to you. Regardless of whether you're healthy. Yeah, if you're healthy, praise the Lord. But if I say, well, if you're not healthy, then what? Then don't praise Him? No. Of course I'm not saying that. It has very little to do with those kind of things. Consider how good God has been to reveal to you His truth that you, whether you're rich or poor, healthy or sick, that you would be called a son or daughter of God. God is good. Let's pray. And so, Lord, as we think through these things today, we're grateful for your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful that you are good and that goodness is not defined by us. We don't set the standard for that. You do. Lord, we're, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to spend time in your word and pray that you would make us crave the word even more as, as a necessity of spiritual growth, as a necessity of spiritual maturity.